Welcome to iHeartGeek. And welcome to another episode of iHeartGeek. That's about all the singing I can do. I have no <laughs> business being on this episode whatsoever, kids. But I tell you who does. We have Christina, we have Satomi, and we have Chris Giorgetti. We are talking about Disney animated musicals. And so let me stop my qualification. Now I can't sing to save my life. Everybody here is like a freaking professional level minimum singer. And I'm not. So y'all can make me look really bad today. <laughs> How y'all doing today? You feeling Disney-rific? Oh, yes. I think it's a wonderful day. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is Disney the start of anime? That's the question. With the, with the hee hee. <laughs> <laughs> You know I'm I right, Chris. So, but you know. <laughs> so I, I got to say this first off, since you haven't been on forever. How you doing, Chris? Well, I'm doing super duper dub. Thanks for asking. Uh, I don't expect of, anything you, less. Yeah, for those <laughs> listeners who have wondered where I've been, I had a little surgery done. I'm okay, nothing too serious. But now I can eat and drink to whatever my heart desires, and Your I'm down nose 10 pounds. Looks great. Thank you. I, I, oh, you should see I when he stands him. up, it looks even better. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Especially from, from this angle. Uh, but oh. I, I honestly, I, I miss doing this and I'm so happy to be back. Yay. We've missed you, bud. Okay, so <laughs> today's episode is brought to you by hearing a rodent sing and thinking it's completely normal. Um, it is. It, it is. What kind of drugs do you guys have on the East Coast and in... Oregon. Oh, Disney magic. Do I'm Disney in Vegas magic. and nothing's that normal. I mean, come on. Dub, it's pixie dust. <laughs> Is that what Is they're that calling, what it calling it now? <laughs> <laughs> Just ask Tinkerbell. <laughs> <laughs> Two points to Tommy. Okay. So first question off the, off the, off the presses. What is it that makes Disney animated mu musicals so much different from every other musical? Now I remember being a kid. And you'd put on Grease, and I'd be like, no, this sucks. This is for girls. You'd put on Sound of Music. No, this sucks. This is for girls. You'd put on any Disney animated musical. I'm good with it. What is what is a special thing that Disney has with their animated musicals? Let's start with Satomi on this one. Well, Dub. Okay. Um, starting from the beginning, they, they really picked up on what was popular at the time. So when you're talking about, like, the early ones, um, like uh, – Sleeping Beauty was based off of Tchaikovsky, the, the Tchaikovsky ballet, which people would have been familiar with. Mm -hmm. um, and then when we come into this more recent golden age of Disney, um, it's it's Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, really, who established that Disney sound for um, for our musical theater geeks out there. These are the guys who wrote uh, Little Shop of Horrors. And there's a they they just had this dis distinctive sound and um i think they also are responsible for this generation of musical theater lovers thank you very much <laughs> ashman and mankin thank you christina what about you i think they perfected the story arc like definitely can i you know when you look at some of the other ones that we've seen they have that they have that soft beginning almost every single time and then they nail it with the drama and you always get a happy ending. <laughs> Chris, I got to walk away from that one, Mr. George. <laughs> well, I there are a couple things, but, you know, let's see what I have in my handy dandy notes here. First, they're absolutely <laughs> gorgeous to look at. Yes. From the, from the very beginning, they were. Like, you could take pretty much any frame from any of the Disney animated films put them in a museum and I would go pay money and gawk at them for hours on end. Now, keep in mind before the Disney Renaissance, which is 1989 to 1999, if for those of you Disney aficionados out there between the 1960s and 1985, uh, some of the Disney animated films were hit and miss because mm -hmm. they didn't, after Walt Disney died in 1966, they lacked real direction with the films. Cause I remember Don Bluth wanted his big project to be, what ended up being the Black Cauldron, but they felt that was too dark for kids. Which um, was, but I'm not going to disagree with that. 
but then a little man by the name of Michael Eisner came along and he like changed the company and Disney forever. Uh, Cause from that point forward, uh, he, he recruited this guy that Satomi mentioned, Alan Menken, who is responsible for all of the glorious music in pretty much every single uh, movie starting in 1989, with the exception of like The Lion King, and which brilliant, which was brilliant. That, that was Hans Zimmer of mm-hmm. all, like Hans Zimmer, Tim uh, Rice, and Elton John. Um, I mean, but come yeah, on. the music, like they just that's a Mount Rushmore hit. right there. Yeah, like they turned out hit after hit after hit after hit for like 10 years. And it's what got me hooked into all things Disney. And like, it was like a perfect storm Mm -hmm. of, you know, you know, the company had leadership and then they just got all this insane talent. It's like they caught an entire lightning storm in a bottle, like for 10 years. Yeah. So it's just, they became iconic for a reason. So for me, I think it has to do with the fact that on, on, when I was a kid, when I'd watch see a a live action musical on TV, it would feel like they would stop and it would just be so awkward that they were singing out of nowhere. But with the animated, it never felt that way. It just felt like it kind of flowed. Mm-hmm. And there, there's something that I think live theater could learn from Disney because it does has this flow to it that it doesn't feel like you don't feel yourself going from the acting I, to the scene. I think what I think what what you were suffering from there was bad productions. Um, and let's face it, that even in the professional <laughs> world, it happens all the time. Nine times out of 10, when people say that they hate musical theater, I will get off this high horse in a second. When they say they hate musical theater, it's because unfortunately they've seen a some sort of local production who doesn't mm-hmm. understand that flow yeah um you know or even let's face it there's some stuff on broadway that mm, you know you could take or leave and it's that that don't understand that but when you really see a great piece of theater done properly that's what you see and i think i think disney was able to capture yeah. that especially because they're able to massage it before putting it out there yeah. now there are still some productions that some movies that don't do that because you know yeah of course that's a whole other episode now now to defend myself (laughs) on that a little bit no i don't hate musical theater actually i really grew to love it but it's when i was a kid i there was definitely a difference for me and yeah yeah i'm saying you know yeah i'm not i'm not i'm not saying that you hate musical theater (laughs) i'm saying that what you saw at that time i don't don't want i don't want y'all from new york coming over (laughs) to vegas and beating me up you know doing the but Give me one of those dances, you know. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) You reference West Side Story. You get a thousand points, Doug. (laughs) (laughs) But like the thing about, um, especially with like um, Beauty and the Beast, Lion King, Hunchback, these were all written as if they were stage shows. I think that's. I think that's why they resonate so profoundly with the public it's because you know the story wasn't too complicated and of course with some of the fairy tales that disney adapted to make these films they made it um happy for the kids which is a smart thing to do especially with hunchback because if you've read hunchback oh that's dark (laughs) it's so dark it's but like i think that's why people like you don't necessarily have to love musical theater, but they love these movies because it's just, they have that, there's that Disney magic. Like it's just so magical and wonderful and awesome. It's just like, how can you not fall in love with, with these films? Well, another thing about it, especially in the formative years is how safe they are. I remember just about every date I went on from the time I was in eighth grade till probably I was a junior in high school you know, at least if I was dating a girl for a while, at least one of those dates would be to a Disney animated musical movie because there's something so safe and you could be a ki- you could still be a kid, but there's that romance underneath it and all that. And I thought that was a really I mean, Aladdin was a big one. I think I saw that with probably 10 girls. Um, not at the same time. I'm not that much. Oh, Give me a break. Leia. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, actually, okay, uh, he's my friend. I got a lot of that. <laughs> With that being said, there's something that was so safe about them that was so endearing 
you know, and it's because you can watch it as a kid and you can watch it as an, as an adult and you can love it for different reasons, but it still gives you the same feeling in your heart either way, which I think is a really, it's an art. I have to wonder if part of it is, um, you know, when, whenever we watch, uh, any kind of entertainment, a lot of times the experience you have is you put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're watching. And I wonder with animation, even though you, we've, you know, Disney has run the gamut and continues to expand their, their, you know, their ethnic representation, if because it's animated, it's easier to be, to identify with the character. Yeah, because because it's no matter a what their generic. ethnicity or whatever, yeah, absolutely, you, you can identify with a lion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can identify with a warthog. You know, I mean, that is. Yeah, if you yeah, have, my friends you know, don't stand peppers. downwind. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Someone had to make the fart joke outstanding. Just for you, uh, Dub. Just for you. I appreciate that. So let me let me ask this. What was the first Disney animated musical that you personally it kind of hit something in you that you like you love this? And I want to give mine first, and mine was the jungle book. I don't know how many times I saw that in the theater. I loved Baloo. I loved King Louie. Um, I didn't like Mowgli, didn't care, didn't care for the character at all, but I loved all <laughs> that was one of those that I remember I bought the soundtrack on tape. Um, so see, Chris, they have these things called tapes, right? And they were plastic. I know what a tape is. And he had to I fast had forward tape. and rewind. Okay. I was just checking. Yeah, I, I, I haven't, I haven't made a Chris's young joke in a while. And I just had to throw it in. That was Chris Forrest. Grandpa. He knows what that is. <laughs> wow. You <laughs> I, are, you're from, from Jersey. Um, <laughs> well, I, I watched Jersey Shore. I know. Um, so oh, much, no. <laughs> That is not accurate. Hey, at, <laughs> least, at least I didn't throw any experiencing jokes yet. So what? which was the first one that hit you guys? Um, let's start with you again, Stoney. Uh, Sleeping Beauty. I mean, I, I remember um, they were, they were doing runs when I was a kid, they were doing runs of the, of the old Disney movies in the theater. I might just have given away my age. Um, and you're 21. Uh, Shut up. Yes. Thank you. Um, and, you know, they, I remember seeing Pinocchio. I remember seeing Snow White. But for some reason, Sleeping Beauty really, really hit me. Now, it's probably part of the reason I'm such a massive romantic. And then life has made me a cynic. So I'm a cinna-romantic. But, um, <laughs> Is that like a cinephile? Uh, yeah, a little bit. A <laughs> little bit. But the, I, I think a lot of that was the, the artwork and then, um, of course, the music, which... Uh, we will get into later in our top five, but yeah. um, I, they just were so successful in capturing. It's it just expanded what I thought the world felt like by yeah. watching this. So, Christina, The Little Mermaid, and I think it goes back to what Satomi said. It was the first time I put myself in the movie with that character, and the other ones were great and I grew up watching them and I love them but uh, Jodie Benson and the way she voiced Ariel I just I fell in love I loved it so much that I actually used to go up to Dornbecker's Children's Hospital here and I actually used to sing Little Mermaid songs um, to the children and uh, you know because I just I loved it and yeah I, to this day I sit down and I feel like and I was way older than this when I saw it, obviously, but I'm 10 years old again. And I just resonate with that little mermaid. And I, I love the original story anyway. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. It just, it delights me. And, and I know it sounds creepy saying this is uh, <laughs> your old man, but no, that is still my animated crush to this day. I remember watching mine too. That when I was a kid, I'm like, <laughs> I love this girl. I don't know that, that, that run, <laughs> uh, which we'll talk about in my, top list but yo, oh my gosh okay uh chris what about you bud beauty and the beast is the it's a tale as old one, as one i think it song as old as rhyme yeah beauty <laughs> and the beast sorry um, i couldn't help it this is gonna be a lot of this today so the movie came out when i was two or three i think <sighs> but i know i can't i, know, I, can't. I know i, I know. drove to the theater <laughs> 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 but like even even at a young age, um, I just fell in love with um, Disney with this movie because 
between Beating the Beast and Lion King, Beating the Beast is a perfect movie. I'll fight you if anyone says otherwise. But like just the way the story is and the, the characters. Animated, yes. Yeah, the, the animated one. We're not talking about the no, we don't. Live action That's one. not talking about garbage. Yeah, I have thoughts about that. But <laughs> anyway, but like I just That's remember I, show. I wanted to be Gaston, like just because he was so cool. And you're then the first I realized, person I've ever heard say that. I'm not even kidding. But, like, 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 because, because you know. And then you know, I'll talk about this later when we get into the, like the music part of it. Um, like for the um, the stage show, which came out three years after the film, like they made Gaston so much cooler, but he was still kind of, you know, um, a bad guy. Uh, but then you know, I as I've gotten older, I've I've I kind of relate more to Cogsworth. And he's kind of like my Disney spirit animal for for that film. That's nice, uh, but yeah. Beauty and the Beast has a special place in my heart, and I'll get to that when we uh, get to that part of the show. Okay, this this isn't in your notes, but I'm going to throw it at you anyway. Um, what I think is kind of interesting with the is how they change the flow of the movies from one one to the next. For instance, um, we could take Robin Hood, which again that was another one of those formative. But they basically took a plot line from uh, Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, the singing chicken, which was Waylon Jennings, and the whole time through, it was that was so brilliant to me because Disney was able to make you relate. Like you were talking about Satomi, the first thing we talked about with you know you could hear something you can't recognize it, but you know it. It's familiar, and, and that's what they've done so well. And I think that that. And I, the, the, I don't know why the Robin Hood thing stuck in my head, but that that Waylon Jennings rooster. Yeah, just I love that. Well, go ahead, Christina. So I'm going to posit that perhaps Dukes of Hazards came from Robin Hood because Robin Hood came out years before. Did it? <laughs> it did. Definitely. <laughs> no, are you serious? I got to look it up. It's Robin like, Hood. Like, the- Robin Hood the I animated. The, you're talking about Oodle Lolly, Lolly, Golly, what a day. Yes. Oh my gosh, they did. Yes. You just broke my brain. For me, Disney animated doesn't start till 1976 when I was born. So that's that's <laughs> when everything starts. <laughs> but I do, I do think that you're right. I actually do think that the Dukes of Hazard actually pulled a lot of that. that, that that's pretty exact, them. actually. It's pretty exact. Because and they're that both called the, me out a little they're both bit. called the balladeer too, so that's funny. I like that. Wow! Yay! I made a point. <laughs> Is there any um, other correlations that you guys can think of right off the top of your head from Dis- Disney animated to regular pop culture? I'll give you guys a second on it because you guys look like I see the wheels spinning. It's like, well, for me, the Disney Renaissance with let's start with the Little Mermaid started the year I was born. I'm dating myself, literally. But it had such a profound impact on my childhood and people who grew up in my generation's childhood. It like it influenced us and it influenced mm-hmm. pop culture. Like, I don't think Disney had a clue that this was gonna be as big as it turned out to be. Because I think the one, the movie that they did before Little Mermaid was the Oliver and Company with Billy Joel. Billy Joel. Underrated yes. and almost yes, yes. completely forgotten about by 90% of people. Why yeah. should I worry? But, but like, like it just, it just goes to show, like, I don't think we'd have movies like, like La La Land or all these um, musical adaptations uh, like 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 with the Into the Woods movie, the Swing Todd movie, Greatest the Showman, uh, the showman yeah. Chicago. I think I said Rent. Chicago, but Rent. But like the point is, it's because of Disney and these this little string of ten this yeah, words, the string of ten years where they just wiped the floor of everybody. Like there was, yeah. like they became the standard. Well, um, they sort they sort of reinvented the wheel there because they had had many, you know, the, the movie musical had been a stalwart of the entertainment industry that sort of fell out of favor. Um, yeah. And, you know, with, 
with the resurgence of Disney um, in in the golden years, it 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 really established. I mean, it it had it, it had influences everywhere mm-hmm. in the style of pop that we were listening to, in music to how musical theater developed and what was popular. The popular sound. Um, of the era was very much defined by that as well, because it was, again, something that had taken hold of the entire um, yeah. psyche of of the country and of the world into what that was supposed to be, what well, that was supposed to sound like. Can I ask everybody something just based on that? Um, I mean, Disney is it's not in a bubble. It's ever changing. However, it feels like there is some... I'm trying to figure out a way to say this, but it's definitely chained to the originals. There is something about it that still feels like the originals. I don't know what that is. Maybe you guys can figure out what it is. It's the same. But my question, my real question on this is, do you think that they can go too far? Because, I mean, let's let's be honest. Does anyone on earth want to remember 2020, 2021? No, we want to move past it. So how do they not... um, date themselves to the point that oh i remember this was a very bad time Dis- disney it seems like even in bad times has moved along but how do they not make themselves a product of the time considering they keep evolving is that a weird question does everyone understand what no I'm it, it makes That's sense to me and i think if you look at like raya you know, Disney just kept moving forward. They just kept pushing forward. And Raya doesn't really connect to 2020 and the bad times. Uh, it's a story of hope and it's a story of moving forward. And it's a story Satomi and I adore. Uh, so, but you can't you know, go back on our old episodes and watch. Absolutely. So it's I think that Disney has this bubble that's a formula. And that formula works even though they're constantly tweaking and evolving and twisting it to fit the current culture as it evolves. But the formula itself has really remained the same mm-hmm. and they just make it work across the board. What about you, Chris? What do you think on that? Disney has their own magic and that magic, it's you know, they billions of dollars, yes, billions and billions of dollars. But like, even even after the disney renaissance like like it's they kind of stopped doing movie musicals around uh 2009 i'm sorry um 1999 when they did tarzan and then they took like a 10-year break but within those 10 years they did emperor's new groove lilo and stitch wally um wally and they ventured into their partnership with pixar so I think they've managed to keep the magic and the pixie dust mm-hmm. alive by not bringing in the current events of the real world. They choose stories that are uplifting and give you hope and that um, like teach you something. Even if there isn't necessarily a totally happy ending, you, you still like like the movie Coco. I was crying like a baby because it hit so deep. Mm-hmm. Um, because they talk about like life and death and my, my, not to get too sad on the show, but like my dad had just died and I saw that movie and it was almost a, it was catharsis for me. It just, I just felt so impacted by it. Like it, it, it let me live again. Yeah. And I think that's why people love all these Disney films is because they know how to make you feel good, even if the subject matter isn't the happiest thing in the world. But that being said, in 2009, they started doing musicals again mm-hmm. with The Princess and the Frog, another underrated movie. And I'm so glad that they're going to be like the new theme of Splash Mountain. That's just me. Um, but then they hit they they caught lightning in a bottle again with Tangled, with Frozen, with Frozen 2, with Moana. And... I'm kind of glad that they're um, able to be so adaptive and flexible while keeping the magic. Now, Satomi, I'll get you in one sec, but I just, I want to hit on that with the Pixar thing. Now, Pixar and Disney, I wish would never have merged. I love every (laughs) one of those movies. Wait, wait for this. Wait, before you get mad at me. I love, I think every one of these movies, they definitely have a different feel. Wally 
is dated. Wally puts you in a bad place. It does. I mean, as as, as good as the ending as it is, um, and with this with the ultra CGI, I I want Disney to make Disney cartoons. I want Pixar to make these amazing things, but I don't want them to be together. I don't want to think of the Pixar movies as a Disney movie. And I I mean, Incredibles is one of my favorite movies. Period. Yeah. And I, Except I think they've kept themselves separate. I mean, yes, they there there's ownership there, but Pixar definitely has its own flavor that has it, nothing no, it, to do with the Disney flavor. It, it definitely does. It, that way. it definitely does. But we're not seeing any Disney cartoons put out anymore either. Well, yes, I think. Well, I think just that, for that period, the Pixar was doing everything, cars and yeah. I think that also has to do with the fact that Disney's magic is in the form of billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. And they seem to have a knack of buying all the things we love. Mm-hmm. So, so like, look at Marvel, Star Wars, uh, Pixar. Yeah. Um, I disagree with, I'll disagree with you, Dub. I think the reason why the Pixar movies have become so big is because Disney has poured all of their time and resources into making those movies live up to Disney standard. I agree. Um, But I also agree with the fact that I think Disney should also uh, do a 2d film every now and then, or at least if they're going to, if they're going to do like an animated musical, do it, you know, yeah. Like like beauty of the beast, for instance, that was a 2d, but it was groundbreaking. Uh, The matrix would not exist. I believe if it wasn't for beauty (laughs) of the beast because of the, (laughs) The ballroom scene that I read that that was the inspiration ah. for it for the for the bullet time thing. It was the inspiration was because of the ballroom scene. That's cool. So that's, that's saying cool. something. Okay, so Tom, I didn't mean to to cut you off. What what was your thoughts on the ever changing? I mean, we could keep talking about the other that other subject, but anyhow, um, I think what what makes it so enduring um, is they are uh, they also appeal to adults. Yeah. And the reason it appeals to adults is that they are not afraid of dealing with adult uh, subject matter. When you look at when Disney was falling off, um, you know, was was when they were appealing much. They were like, oh, kids, 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 let's focus on the kids. And so the uh, material ended up taking on. I'm not saying it was bad, but could sometimes to an adult seem saccharine or trite instead of being complex. And it's, yeah. we've talked about this before in other, um, in other shows. If you trust kids to grasp complex information, they A, they will, and B, you're going to um, appeal to an adult audience. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, we're talking about, not all of a sudden, but all of the greatest Disney hits, starting with Snow White, had something in it for the adults. Yeah had something that would really appeal to to a to a breadth just like animation uh, anime in Japan it's not just for kids it yeah. is actually created for everyone especially if there's an octopus involved but oh good uh, <laughs> i'm sorry this is a g show yes, Ted, you know what if you watch that that's on you <laughs> i didn't say a word <laughs> now actually i want to i want to jump on that satomi cuz that's interesting with the with the adult thing because we always talk about you know how we can go revisit our past as geeks we love to go watch the stuff that we loved as kids and but with disney it's not necessarily a um, nostalgia trip it is genuinely you can watch it as, as an adult not be like we are not be geeks and get it yeah and that 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 again special kind of magic you know, and I'm themes. glad you brought that up. Universal yeah. themes that that touch adults as well as kids. And and another thing I'm liking now, even though it is, um, and we're going far off the musical path, but um, as far as the Pixar Disney stuff goes, they're really trying to dig at some deep concepts, like with uh, Inside Out, with Soul, mm-hmm. very deep. You know, I mean pardon this but the, the sesame street deep when when gordon died it's yeah. that kind of deep that kids can grasp it and they need it mm-hmm. but it's not shoving it in your face this is right and wrong this is heaven and hell whatever this is this is the concept yeah and it makes a lot of things easy to grasp 
And to bring it back to musicals, the thing about when you add music to it is that we accept when you are, when you sing what's going on on a deeper emotional level versus when you, you would, you would sing something when it's too big to speak it out. Yeah. That's sort of, that's sort of the, the basis of good musical theater usually is if the emotions are too big, that's when the song happens because you can't, you can't express it in words. It needs music. And yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, there was a, there was a fantastic quote I read years ago that, um, guess this isn't religious. So relax people. Um, God gave us music so that we can pray without words. And that is exactly what you're talking about. It is your, your inner self. Um, you know, going back it's to permission, it's like yes. given permission to express exactly. itself. And, and it, it going back to um, Little Mermaid, which we'll talk about later, I'm sure. Well, I know we will. But that that run she does, ah, that says that spoke more to me than any lyric that's ever been written. Mm-hmm. It's just amazing thematic writing musically, because yeah. that's that's a staple of musicals and classical music in general. Is like these little light motifs little simple themes. parts put together to be complex because you, you it, it once it gets stuck in your head you you associate oh that's ariel yeah yeah it's like or if you start hearing um the gaston theme i'm like oh that's gaston yeah it's yep. like it's just so brilliant what they've done for especially in the renaissance era yeah of of it's just brilliant it's and they're so relatable because as everyone said there's something for everybody like yeah. I've cried more after watching a Disney or Pixar film than an actual like dramatic film, because I don't know if it's just the beauty of the artwork or if it's just the simplicity of the story. Like these stories hit home. Yeah. So that like, like years and years later, when I watch these films, like, like clockwork, it still gets me like, you know, it's coming. But it's still, it's still, they're just yeah. so poignant and so powerful. Yes, thank you. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm getting I'm getting all for Clemped uh, just like thinking <laughs> yeah. of no, th- th- thinking of it. I was gonna say I agree with you one thousand percent. When I'm having a really bad day and I come home, it's Disney songs that I belt. Like because yeah. there's this emotion in me I just need to get out. And so it just depends on, you know, sometimes I'll sing a happy Disney song because I want to feel happier, but sometimes it's Hunchback. It's, you know, something that's a little darker, something that's a little deeper, Coco. Um, I also, because I lost my mom in 2017, when I watched that, I bawled through the whole thing because I felt that so incredibly powerful. And it did release a lot of um hurt and pain that I didn't realize that I was still holding on to. So it's that power that they have in, in, in the song. And, and when you wrap that with their background music on top of it, it's phenomenal. Which goes back to that Disney has the, the funds and the resources to hire these composers who understand dramatic writing. Yeah. Well, they write how I like to think that I write in, I think that they've, they've got to write the music first before the lyrics, because it is, they write a feeling and it is, mm. I, that, I, that's I, how I like to believe that I write. I can't, in, I can't entirely agree with that because every, every composer has a different, uh, has a different um, way of working, mm-hmm. but it, it feels like it. Yeah, th- that's, that's is, more what I'm saying. Cause I don't, I yeah. haven't been in the room with any of them. I don't know. But. <laughs> well, especially when you have teams, but yes, go yeah. ahead. There's, there's a great, um, documentary on Disney Plus that kind of shows the resurgence of Disney through these animated films, and like it, it shows like I'll just use this because it just popped in my head how The Lion King was a totally different movie before um, they basically started from scratch because they had a concept for it, and then they realized it wasn't going to work because you know, watch mm-hmm. the documentary on Disney plus. I forget what it's called, but it's about like all the Disney animation. It's great. But I just wanted yeah. to throw that. Make sure you put that there. into yeah. our comments on YouTube and on Facebook, by the way, check <laughs> out our website, www.iheartgeekshow.com. Use the we paid X for it. Please. If you're watching us on YouTube, give us a thumbs up, um, share us with your friends and subscribe. If you haven't already, I hope we've earned your subscription by now. One last question. And we got to do this one quick, but I really want to hit this. 
why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, why does Disney animated movies never translate well to the live? Um, you guys can disagree with me all you want. I have not seen one that I liked even half of how much I liked it. Go ahead. Chris. Can I go first? Can yes. I go first? Okay. So here, here's, <laughs> here's my theory. Lion King, Beauty and the Beast. These are the two iconic movies that you do not touch ever. The only reason um, they work so well as live stage shows is because Alan Menken, praise his genius, went back to Beauty and the Beast and added songs to the show that actually told and um, amplified the story. Mm -hmm. So that being said, when they came out with this live action film, they had so much material to work with. They could have easily taken the songs that were from the musical, which were so much better. Oh than my gosh. The even... things that they put in the live action film. And they didn't. They wrote this weird song for the beast and they changed the actual story. Mm -hmm. I don't think it works because um, we all know what the story is. We know how it goes. We know every single note, every single word. And when you mess with it, it just doesn't work. Yeah. And I would go as far to say as instead of Disney spending millions and millions and millions of dollars on these live action remakes, how about you build the Mary Poppins ride that's been on the shelf? for like the last two years or redo spaceship earth or build like another theme park, because I would rather pay money <laughs> to, to like go on a Mary Poppins ride than to watch these live action films that just make my blood boil. It just doesn't work. Cause they changed the story. It's not yeah. cool. Well, and also they, they, you know, with, with all due respect to actors who are trying their best, they hire celebrities who don't really know how to sing and also don't really understand how to act through the singing. It's a whole different skill. Mm -hmm. And then you've got, often you've got directors who they either pull from the theater who don't understand the film medium and how that has to be treated, or vice versa, you get a film director who doesn't understand how to translate the world of musical theater to a screen. These are very different disciplines. And it drives me crazy when people are like, yeah, that's all, you know, it's all the same thing. You're acting, you're saying, you know, and it, it really is not. When you are in a theater and the closest person to your actor is 15 feet away up to, you know, 30, mm -hmm. 50 feet away, sometimes even further if you're talking about the really large houses um, versus you've got somebody's face that is 10 feet wide on a screen. These are very, very different mediums and they keep hiring people who don't understand the difference. Um, Rob Marshall does the guy who directed Chicago. Um, so if they would have hire directors who understand more deeply how to translate to the medium yeah, and then stop hiring actors who can't sing the dang role, which the animated very rarely use. They use some celebrities, but if they were never the showcase, like, I mean, you have no, your Robin it was Williams. all about what serves the know? story instead of what serves the budget. Exactly. You don't know who Aladdin was. You don't remember. He was the guy from Full House, if you wanted to know. I mean, it's, yeah. Because, yeah, this, yeah. Or, or <sighs> you know, get, get your celebrity in there, but get them in a role that they can actually, that actually they can sing and perform and do well at. Like uh, Angela like Lansbury. Like Angela Lansbury. Or, I mean, or, or Kevin I mean, Klein. Kevin Klein in this. Yeah. Like he was perfect yes. in the role as Bell's but, father in the Beauty and the Beast movie. But that's but you don't need a Snooky. No. I know I said that earlier, but because you there is no facial recognition, stop it. Just stop. I mean, unless it's got somebody with an iconic voice like a um Sam Elliott or something like that, or Morgan Freeman. Sam Elliott really is matter. in a Disney animated. Which oh, he is the good one? dinosaur. He is. Oh, nice. The good dinosaur. Oh. 
So what, what was yours, Christina? We got to wrap this up. Uh, for, for me, uh, first of all, I haven't seen any of them, but the Lion King, because that's what my son-in-law wanted to see for his birthday. We always do a movie um, in which that one, it's not live action. It's just CGI, uh, which was ridiculous because it was almost the exact same story via CGI versus animated. But I made a decision like, Again, I go back to Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Potts. Nobody can do that part. And, and I love Will Smith, but nobody can be the genie but Robin Williams. And there are certain things that Disney did so well, they're crazy for trying to repeat it. Yeah. Because there are there are people that are so iconic in those roles. And again, supporting roles, but Tale as Old as Time is only Angela Lansbury. Yeah, like I had no desire to see any of them. So other than the Lion King, I haven't seen them. Yeah. You were so, spared. Let me, let, me, <laughs> let me give the last, last word on this. We're going to move on real quick. And I think it, a lot of it has to do with what Satomi said, um, how you can see yourself in every character in the animated. You can't live action because it's so specific on who it is. Like, I don't see myself in this person anymore. And with the animated boy, girl, uh, animal, whatever, whatever color, you can see yourself. You can't do that with a live. And th they may be able to, but they've never, they haven't cracked the code on it. And with that, let's move on to the listener feedback. And now let's see what all of our geek rock stars have to say. So for this listener feedback, we asked, uh, what is your favorite Disney animated movie and why? And uh, maybe I'll, no, Satomi, you're in it today. <laughs> you knew one gotta go to me. We got some great listener feedback today. We can't get to everybody, but Danielle Ariana said Pocahontas in all its flawed, historically inaccurate glory. Truth. Uh, as wow. a musical theater, as, mu as a musical, it is dang near flawless. Every song is memorable and the score is epic and sweeping in the most magical way. Uh, she was obsessed with it as a kid. And to this day, she knows every lyric and every fermata. Yes. Thank you, music nerd geek. Uh, <laughs> Um, Sandra Huntsman, while Beauty and the Beast has a very special place in her heart, uh, she's in a bonus feature on the 25th anniversary release, which was the most amazing experience. Sandra, you're going to have to tell us more about that. Um, Frozen 2 is her top fave. She just loves Anna and Elsa and the that. journeys they take, and the music is incredible. Show Yourself is beyond brilliant. The Little Mermaid and the Hunchback of Notre Dame are also way up there, and she has to mention Anastasia. Yes, it wasn't made by Disney, but they own it now, and it's way up there as well. What don't they own? I think they uh, own right. our show. <laughs> right. <laughs> Come on, Disney, we're waiting, we're waiting. All right, and then finally, Oscar Vlad Rivas, The Lion King. It's uh, African-inspired songs, a refreshing break from the other traditional musicals, very energetic, very spiritual, and very memorable. Every song is a classic, easily recognized by Disney fans. Be prepared as his favorite Disney villain song. And finally, Kimberly Romine, Beauty and the Beast. She loves Yay. all the songs, and her favorite as, it was her favorite as a kid. She still sings along if she gets to watch it, which isn't often because she does have a house full of boys that's okay i think you need some time in your she shed <laughs> <laughs> thank you everybody so much for your listener feedback these as i say these make our show better and i enjoy them a lot because i feel like i'm hearing from y'all which you guys are probably more interesting than me anyway so thank you all for doing your your write-ins keep doing it we, we try to get as many people on as we can um now I'm going to give you guys, you guys got like five seconds. You can name your one favorite Disney animated full movie from top to bottom. I'll do mine first. Jungle Book. Uh, Christina. The Little Mermaid. Chris. Beauty and the Beast. Satomi, what about you? Moana. Nice. Because you like the Hawaiian stuff. Outstanding and off to our main event. Now it's time for the main event. Okay, so for our main event today, I asked what is our top five favorite songs in the Disney animated universe? Whoo, this is a fun is one. So I'm going to start with my number five and... Um, 
Yeah. And I talked about it earlier, so we're not going to talk about it too much, but the, the vocal run from Little Mermaid. Uh, I used to, my joke in high school was, I will date any girl that will sing that to me because I just, that's, that, that run just speaks to me more than, more than Shakespeare, more than anything else. That run, I think is just so amazing and it's hard to hit. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So let's go start with Christina. Part of your world, Little Mermaid. Very good. Why? Um, again, it's look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Like there's just something timeless about that song that it's probably the song I sing the most in life in general. I just, I love that song. I connect to it. Uh, for me, musically, it's just beautiful. And it has the run at the end, which I used to be able to do, but not so much now that I've gotten older. Nice. Mr. George Eddy. What can I say except you're welcome? That's my number five song. It's The Rock singing. It's <laughs> The Rock. I love Moana. I love that movie. It got robbed of its best animated feature Oscar by Zootopia. Curse you. Did not like Zootopia. Oscar. I no, did not really either. Not. It was, it was not fine. Either. It was fine. It was fine. But Moana was so much better. Um, yeah, anytime you have The Rock singing, yeah. If you smell <laughs> what The Rock's cooking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Toby, what is your number five? When you wish upon oh, a star. Such a classic. From Pinocchio. It just... A, I mean, it is a beautifully written tune. Um, it is complex. It is stunning. But most of all, because I am also a lyric hoe, it's. <laughs> I am. I am. I to me, a great song has got to have great lyrics. You broke up. Um, <laughs> I did. I got my baseball bat of words out. Oh my gosh. Um, and it is it just speaks of longing of that yeah. just that reaching and that longing and i just love it and, and such a great example of a song that could be sung by anybody male female yeah. it doesn't matter it's just mm -hmm. it's yeah lyrically it's it pretty close to perfect it's nice it's a universal feeling it's almost muppet good i'm just saying okay so my <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's be honest. The the uh, it's up the there rainbow, with rainbow connection for me. Yeah, it is up there. that's what that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay, so my number four because I had three boys and no girls and no um, young nieces at the time. I can say this: let it go on Frozen. I know that that burned itself out, but that is like my favorite singer on the planet, doing just such an amazing song. Um, I, I get why parents of little girls hate this song however i'm not in that boat i think it's it's just a beautiful song and so well written doesn't sound disney to me at all but it's definitely it's just amazing you know that song and the entire frozen scores were written by the same people who wrote avenue q right shut up was it yeah yeah are you sure wow yeah really and there's no yeah. profanity in it no Oh wow! And Robert no Arnold, and, uh, Kristen Lopez. Yeah, nice. Wow. <laughs> okay. Wow, Christina. Now that my mind's blown. <laughs> uh, little April showers from Bambi. It's just a lyrically just perfect staccato. Um, just a beautiful song that leads into this amazing sweeping orchestra moment, and then rounds itself back down to that very staccato. Um, chorus of amazing, yes, it's, it's a storm and a song, storm. and it's beautiful, yeah. And uh, I just little April showers, yes, yeah, because where, where I lived and where I work now, we're on 136 acres of woodland amongst 300 units, and we have lots and lots of deer. And I just it's in my head all the time now. Every time Bambi and his mom goes trotting across, or they're standing at my office going, Hey guys. Mm, this sounds delicious. Uh, sorry, I'm the one that had to say it. <laughs> the only one that would say I know the only one. one. It's all good. Well, ladies. Tyler might. <laughs> Chris, my number four is "Friend Like Me" from Aladdin. Oh. Um, two words: Robin Williams. Perfect. Um, like wah, wah, wah. 
this movie encapsulated his insanity and need I say more? Well, yeah, his coke fueled greatness. <laughs> also, let's be honest, that was when he was at his best, and that was it. it it really was. Although also, wasn't he? He was off of it by then. He was off of it by Aladdin. He maybe. Was, yeah. I don't know. Well, suppose. I don't judge. <laughs> but the um, you know, we also got um uh at the end, like that was the start of those like Disney slow jams at the end of the movies. We got a little Peebo Bryson action with a whole oh. new world. Oh, give me some Peebo any yeah. time of the week. <laughs> yeah, that it death Disney figured out how to make themselves make a top 40 song in that era because every one of them starts everything started going to the top of the charts yeah I mean, they're they're beating out michael jackson on stuff i'm like wow they're beating out def leppard i'm like that's weird it's disney and i loved it at the time because i didn't it never hit my brain so tell me what is your number four listen if she doesn't scare you no evil thing will i'm talking about cruella yes. deville from uh, 101 Dalmatians, the animated. See, all of y'all are singing it. It just, I mean, it It just, ooh, it, it, yeah. I, I can't put it into words. It's just, I hear it, and I, I'm just, I'm, I'm grooving, and I'm a happy camper. Yeah, and, and going back to what we've, we've been, what we've been hitting on, the melody first, and then the lyrics. And they, they made a very specific announcement about it in that. I thought it was cool okay so what are we at number three sorry about this i gotta get my second screen working and it will be working by next episode i promise so my number three is under the sea by little mermaid with Ah. you gotta love a song with a steel drum solo um (laughs) just yeah great song i mean it's a toss i'm sure it's on somebody else's list so i won't say the other one but just that movie It, it, I know it's island music, but it doesn't feel cheesy. You know what I mean? It doesn't no. have that Jimmy Buffett type feel. It feels good. <laughs> you, well, and I'm not insulting Jimmy Buffett, but it, that's kind of cheesy. It's yeah, a party. It's a party. Yeah. Yay. Yeah. Let's, they let's, do let's, it really let's... well. They made a party. But I don't feel like the, the Little Mermaid had that hokiness. Yeah. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, Christina. Uh, this one is, uh, as a mom, it's one of my favorite songs, and it's La La Lou from Lady and the Tramp. Um, I, My daughter is 25 years old almost, and when she's having a bad day, she will call me and she'll say, Mom, I need La La Lou. <laughs> and I'll just, and I'll, you know, La La Lou, La La Lou. It's just this beautiful, beautiful incredibly tender moment that Disney just, and it didn't have anything to do with the story. Not really. It was mom singing to the baby for the very first time. And it's just a timeless, timeless, beautiful song. And yeah, it's it was, like that with baby mine. Yeah. And it's, yeah. And it's Miss Peggy Lee. Like, how can you, it's Miss freaking <laughs> Peggy Lee singing that song. Of course, it's going to be amazing. You're almost ready to cry. I love that. Chris. <laughs> This Not might surprise. <laughs> this might surprise some listeners, but my number three is Hellfire from Hunchback of Notre Dame. Really? So yes. Call me why. surprised. Hunchback <laughs> of Notre Dame is, without a shadow of a doubt, the best musical score Disney's ever done, and that's saying something because of what came before Hunchback. Uh, Alan Menken wrote it, it like I could listen to this album by itself without watching the movie and just the music is so beautiful it's a crime that hunchback has not made it to a broadway stage because it would sell out every single night and this particular going back to the film version it's a really dark song it's one of the most dark and complex songs that Disney's ever put to film. And the fact that you have Tony J's brilliant, uh, dark, sinister voice singing it, it just makes it so much better. I, I watched it last night, like on YouTube on a loop. It's just, how can you not like Hunchback's music? Um, but yeah, that's my number three. It's just Alan nice. Menken. 
I want to know what part you would play in the musical. Quasimodo. Quasimodo. I love it. Totally. Out there. I'll give Tom Holzer in for his money. Yep. (laughs) So tell me, what is your number three? Well, I'm taking it back to Lady and the Tramp, but um, mine is We Are Siamese, if you please. Boom, boom, boom. Thank you. Um, I'm definitely a cat person. It's it's su- such a simple thing, and it's such a you know, it's such a Western world taking what they their impression is of the Eastern world. And as a descendant of both Western and Eastern parents, I'm going to say, I'm down. I love it so much. And it's Peggy, <laughs> Peggy Lee also playing the cats, purring as part of, or meowing as part of the music. And as a cat person, I also endorse this song. And I, I think they both ended up belonging to Catwoman at some point or the other. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. oh, I'm sure. The Etta James one. Uh, <laughs> okay, so we are on number two. My yeah. number my number two is from my favorite Disney musical, and that would be I Want to Be Like You. Oh, you want to be like you. It's just so happy and so bouncy. And I mean, you could put a distorted guitar on there and make it a metal song. It is just awesome. And I love it. And I mean, what's going on? Um in the scene when it's happening is just mind blowing. You know, even, even today there is no, it's not dated at all. And the song doesn't feel dated at all. And it doesn't feel like a show tune. It just feels like a song. It's very friend like me. Yeah. It's got that. It's got that same. It's celebratory and it's got that same sort of universal and yet different. So different. Yeah. Christina. So, uh, that's funny that that's yours because mine is look for the bare necessities. Yep, absolutely. Jungle Book. Um, it's such a fun song. And I just, as a kid, I loved Baloo. I thought he was the best character yeah. on the planet. And um, so I just love that song. It's another really happy song. You're having a bad day. Um, it was between, for me, it was between Bare Necessities and Hakuna Matata. But I went back a little more to my classic childhood yeah. verses. But yeah, both those songs are those feel good. Yeah, And, and with Baloo, this is I, this just for a second. Um, every one of his songs are character building. I don't know if anybody noticed, but every one of his songs build his character. And I think that's kind of an interesting factoid. Chris, what is your number two, sir? My number two is also for my favorite Disney animated film, uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Be Our Guest. Be. Because you have, oh. ah, guest, Be Our Guest, Jerry Orbach did the rest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I see what I did there. Uh, I saw what you did. Like, I see what like, you're throwing down. This is like, when you think Beauty and the Beast, you think of Tales of this Time and Be Our Guest. Um, it's just such a fun song and you're instantly happy when you hear it. And I have to say, because Beauty and the Beast holds a special place in my heart because one, it's my favorite film. Two, my dad was a stagehand on the original Broadway production. So I literally lived that show. Wow. Like my childhood. So I got like a front row seat, literally to like see how well beauty and the beast transferred from an animated film to a stage show and i have to throw this little factoid out there um the guy who originated the role of the beast was also javert in the original production of les mis terrence mom um but yeah be our guest because you know i've eaten at the beast's castle in disney world it is magical and the gray stuff is delicious don't believe me Ask the dishes. Wah, wah. I I wonder why you you. ended up in musical theater. It's all clear now. So tell me, what is your number two? My number two actually was not in the film, in the body of the film. It was one of it, you know, it was one of the Peebo Bryson moments, Um, Mm. but it was not a remix. It was If I Never Knew You from Pocahontas. Um, I now I. Truth, con- true confessions, Pocahontas is not my favorite Disney film. I think it suffers from a lot of issues. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of incredible music in it. And it's an important story that was 
and Vanessa Williams. Really I mean, super know. Disney-fied. I didn't really dig that. Like nobody, I, I loved that nobody could understand each other, but then a tree saying and everybody could, and nobody took the effort to actually <laughs> learn the dang language. I was like, no, 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 no. Anyhow. Tell us how you really feel. That being so, <laughs> how I really feel is that if I never knew you, um, encapsulated the feeling between the two of them and it's just dead romantic y'all it's just <laughs> it's just super roro and um and it's a beautiful if you've never heard of it take a listen it's just a beautiful song beautifully nice. written okay so we're running out of time so we're not going to be able to do our our um honorable mentions nice. however um i'm i'm i'm, I'm giving you everybody that's on the panel a job on YouTube and on Facebook underneath this video. You can all, you can type it out on one and copy and paste it to the other. It will be on our honorable mentions will be on both YouTube and Facebook. It's on, it's on air now. So you have to do it. You're very bossy. Does that work. Oh, well, <laughs> if you're not used to that by now, really? Uh, <laughs> okay. So my number one for, so many personal reasons is a whole new world um, from Aladdin. This was the one song that was completely in my range. And it's the one song I remember I tried for the solo and I came close and um, yeah, it was a, this song is just so perfect to me. Um, I think it's the ultimate love song. I think it's just beautiful top to bottom. It's not syrupy. It's not cheesy. It's not schmaltzy, but it is definitely just, pretty i want to say without being overly so hmm. okay so christina what is your number one so my number one is probably in my opinion the cheesiest yet the most romantic song disney ever did and that is there you see her kiss the girl um <laughs> it just it's unbelievably delightful there's this humor in it with scuttle um but fundamentally it's just this still oh it's just the sweetest most romantic song and because i listened to a lot of like disney and i have a lot of disney cassettes and things it was also the first song that was playing when sean kissed me so it has a little place in my heart Aww. so okay chris I, I top of first kiss so yeah, <laughs> I don't think I can do that because my song is not a romantic song. It's <laughs> "Be Prepared" from The Lion King. Ooh, so good. Um, Polar opposite. It's just a. It's a fun song. It's rare that the villain gets a song to begin with, but when you have Jeremy Irons like like monologue his whole plan and song, it's just wonderful. Um, there's some imagery in the animated film that did not age well. I won't, you'll know what it is if you watch it, but like the fact that they got away with that in 1994 is just like, okay, I see you, Disney. Fun fact about Be Prepared, and then I'll give Dub the floor again because it's his show. Uh, <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, wow, I, I sound like a tyrant. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Uh, <laughs> Jeremy Irons actually blew his voice out during the recording of Be Prepared. So if you listen closely to the last verse, it's a different voice. Really? That voice is Jim Cummings, who also is the voice of Winnie the Pooh. The, and Ed. The, <laughs> and Ed. The, the subtlety is, it's like so minuscule that Jim Cummings did a spot on Jeremy Irons um, impression just for a verse, but it's brilliant. So I have to listen. look. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It's, it's like, you gotta listen real. It's only the last verse, like the last like 30 seconds, but you'll be like, Oh, that's not Jeremy Irons. Okay. <laughs> I probably would have never noticed if you didn't say now that I'm not going to be able to pay attention to anything, but yep. Satomi close us out. <laughs> How far I'll go from Moana. I love me some Lin-Manuel Miranda. Thank you so much for all that you give us on a regular basis. Um, but again, it is that longing. It is that reaching. It is striving. 
And that always calls to me. And it's just, it's beautifully done and it's beautifully sung and it's inspiring and it's just gorge. <laughs> gorge. I like that word. That's yeah. so y'all have a gorge day. Um, thank y'all so much for being on, on the panel. Thank you everybody who sat and listened to the whole thing. Um, check out the Facebook, go to the YouTube, go to the Twitter, go to the Instagram, go to the discord, go to the, the smoke signals, uh, follow the, 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 the tree that will talk to, to the you tell you about our show, go to the Patreon. Cause we Check have our honorable mentions, tons of new content coming out. Like did, subscribe, all that fun stuff. What's up, Chris? Did you pay extra for the.com for the website? I I'm did. not sure about that. I did pay extra for the.com. And should we go to that website? You which www.iheartgeekshow.com. Oh my gosh. I want to say it so bad. This is like bothering me now. I'm going to be like OCD all day. Ah, use complicated Thanks. for it. I can't know. I try not to. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, get a shirt on, on, on uh, the shop. Cause it's good stuff. And until next time I'm dub. I'm here with Christina. I'm here with Satomi. I'm here with Chris. Keep on geeking on kids. You've been listening to the latest episode of the I heart geek show. Make sure you visit our website at www.iheartgeekshow.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you check us out on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And keep on geeking on to all of you geek rock stars.